plans to reverse bans on the use of spit hoods on children in the Northern Territory's youth detention centres have been announced by the Territory's opposition if elected in August. The comments have concerned advocates like Latoya Aroha Rule from the Jambana Institute for Indigenous Education and Research at UTS. Latoya's been advocating to end the use of spit hoods across the country for a number of years. In 2016, her brother died in custody after being restrained by a spit hood in South Australia. Latoya's advocacy ensured that the incident led to widespread reforms, including South Australia becoming the first jurisdiction in Australia to ban the practice. Latoya has been pushing for a nationwide ban ever since, and New South Wales just passed legislation. Latoya, welcome back to Speaking Out. Thank you so much for having me. For those who are listening who aren't aware and haven't listened to you when you've been on the program previously, are you able to share with us some of the circumstances surrounding your brother's death? Absolutely. And I guess I just want to preface it with, yeah, a warning for those listening and also for those surviving things like spit hoods and torture devices, really. It can be quite triggering to listen to the the circumstances in which people have died or been injured from these devices. So Wayne, my brother Wayne Feller Morrison, so I'm the youngest of six, Wayne Feller Morrison was 29 years old. He was a dad, an artist and a fisherman. He went into custody on remand for six days. When we were in the court with my family, my mum and my sister, um, somebody ran into the court with a note to say that Wayne wouldn't be attending. He was supposed to attend via video link, but instead we've come to find out that in fact he was restrained with a spit hood with flexi cuffs on his wrists and his ankles and placed in the prone position face down in the back of a transport van. There were at least 14 officers involved in his initial restraint with a spit hood and he was put into the van with at least seven officers inside. So we know that these circumstances uh, are not being accounted for. However, legislation like the banning of spit hoods does bring me some kind of peace knowing that other family members and other individuals who are most vulnerable, particularly children, are not going to be spit hooded anymore. As I mentioned earlier, you're campaigning about the circumstances of your brother's death led to a ban on spit hoods then. What did it feel like for you when that legislation passed in South Australia? Knowing that there were so many years taken up of campaign advocacy when it was something that could have been done overnight with the flick of a pen and could be done nationally now with the flick of that same pen made it bittersweet. However, the sweet came again because there was a sense of safety and also a sense of victory and restraint of the carceral setting that does the restraining, that does the violence to our people and many people across Australia for the same reasons. Our family members are not violent people, yet in many circumstances, the types of punishment they receive, the types of restraints they receive are very violent. And something like spit hoods is a violent technique used by the state and that is sanctioned by the state. So for those reasons, it was sweet to know that this violent mechanism, this archaic mechanism was being restricted by use and also knowing deep inside that this was going to cause a fire across Australia to have other jurisdictions ban them. Well, speaking of that, New South Wales just changed the law. What did the legislation state and how did it feel when you were sitting in Parliament when the laws passed? So the difference between legislation in South Australia and New South Wales was significant. 
As an abolitionist, some of our practices is considering how we do restrain the state from its violence and to abolish the violent mechanisms of the state, while also ensuring that we're not increasing the size of that state and its funding and its ability to incarcerate more people. So in saying that, in South Australia, there was a two-year sentence applied for anybody found to be using a spit hood, mainly officers and other people at their place of work who would be sanctioned or approved to use those spit hoods. Whereas in New South Wales, the penalties that do apply as part of the prohibition on spit hoods here mean that instead of somebody receiving a sentence uh, for using a spit hood, instead the penalties are, for instance, at their place of work. So if somebody is found to be using a spit hood, they could lose their job. To me, that's a much better way forward in terms of not increasing the size and the capacity of the state to incarcerate more people, but it's still showing a level of accountability and also the right towards our human right to not have to face any types of violent systems. We also mentioned that while South Australia has the banned New South Wales has just passed the legislation, in the Northern Territory, the use of spit hoods on young people in police custody was outlawed almost 18 months ago, more than five years after they were banned from youth prisons following the recommendations from a Royal Commission. But the Territory's opposition has announced plans to reinstate the use of spit hoods in the NT if they're elected. How do you react when you hear these kind of comments after all of the activism of getting them banned? Over the last few years, we've gone from the legislative ban in South Australia into a national ban spit hoods coalition. That level of work has caused significant uprising of different organisations, individuals, families and groups who've wanted to see this ban. Some of those individuals and groups and families do come from the Northern Territory. Some of those young people have been spit hooded and are surviving. So to know that, again, particularly for those witnessing the opposition's comments and statements saying that they might implement spit hoods again. You know, my heart goes out to those young people who are surviving and are now maybe worrying if this is going to happen to them or their family members again, particularly children as young as 10 years old, as we know Australia incarcerates children as young as 10 years old, and that disproportionately spit hoods are used against First Nations children in the Northern Territory. So my initial fear is for those young people, particularly those in Dondale, in other youth prisons and those in uh, police custody and police cells. Of course, as well, my anger is toward the fact that there is ample research, there is ample evidence now. There are police unions, there are correctional officers who support these bans in New South Wales, in South Australia, and indeed across Australia in their own workplaces. So for that evidence to be completely dismissed just doesn't make me feel safe at all, but doesn't make me feel that this type of government is the right one to govern the people of the Northern Territory. More so than that, on principle, I consider that many of these corrections officers are grown men and to want to bring back and advocate for something like a spit hood to be used upon a 10-year-old child, I really question their integrity and I question their capacity in their own workplace to be essentially caring for children. There are those who argue that mechanisms like spit hoods are necessary to protect frontline workers. What's your response to that? There should be adequate PPE in every workplace. We really support and stand behind every person's right to feel safe at work 
And part of that is having adequate PPE, personal protective equipment for those frontline workers. When we consider that people like nurses and hospital staff, many don't use spit hoods, many doctors don't use spit hoods, particularly in the age of COVID, in the era of COVID, they're just not necessary at all. And there hasn't been research to show that they do protect against disease or transmission. And in fact, that that messaging is very stigmatising of those in our communities who are most vulnerable to discrimination. And knowing, of course, that other officers aren't using them and don't need to use them, in my mind, there's no reason why any other officer across Australia needs to use them. Also knowing that the Australian Federal Police themselves have banned spit hoods. And what would be some of the alternatives in those situations where people have used spit hoods to restrain particularly children? Some of the alternatives to using spit hoods are, of course, training, appropriate training, which we continue to hear out of, for instance, death in custody inquests and recommendations by coroners. Of course, de-escalation tactics. For some people, we know that leaving people in a room by themselves to calm themselves down with adequate social supports and people there like their family members and elders is one way that we can avoid the escalation of any circumstance, particularly in a police or prison setting. So when those care factors are really neglected, that's when escalation starts. We need people who care for our people to be on the front line working with our people to avoid ridiculous uses and violent uses of state power. We've looked at your advocacy on this issue of spithood bans, but I want to acknowledge that your family had to go through the death in custody of a loved one and it's made you an advocate in that space more broadly, not just in relation to spithoods. And I wonder if you could give us an overview of what it's like for a family to go through the process of having a death in custody, particularly through the coronial inquest. What have you learnt and I guess how are you supporting others through that process? Good question. Going through an inquest takes a lot of sacrifice, particularly for Aboriginal women, particularly for Aboriginal mums and sisters and aunties, who many times are the frontline workers in our own communities and the carers. We have to give up a lot, including our work, including our schooling, our university degree sometimes, our health management, and the capacity just even to care for ourselves like basic food and necessities, because during the inquest process, we're constantly doing the work of informing people and negotiating and responding and resisting and just being present to listen to such horrible news and then go back to our families or care for them during those times. So it's quite a sacrifice to sit through an inquest. On top of that, the criminalising aspect that coronial inquests can have for certain family members, particularly Aboriginal men attending, who maybe had been in custody prior, to have to um, negotiate inside such a state space is quite difficult as well. So the harms uh, toward people's mental health and trauma that already pre-exists these coronial inquest processes can be significant. But most of all, in many ways, actually, the development of communities, the strengthening of groups, the strengthening of our support systems collectively as we show up for each other, is one of the beautiful things that can come. And I think the ban on spit hoods is one way to show just our resistance, but also our resilience and our capacity to draw closer together in times of need 
in times of significant trauma and stress. So in some ways, it's been a beautiful experience to grow stronger in my community and with my own family. It strikes me too that a lot of your advocacy isn't just around fixing problems with the system. You call out the inherent problems of the system itself. So you say you argue for abolition in the appropriate ways. And I just wonder what your reflections are then on what you would like to see, acknowledging that you have called the system out as a whole, but from the perspective of what you've been through and what the families you've supported who've also had deaths in custody have been through, what are some of your reflections on the sorts of changes you'd like to see? Definitely funding communities to establish a basis of whether they want to be part of an inquest or not is really important. Many times families are expected to show up despite knowing how traumatic and the sacrifice it's going to take to actually show up. So funding communities, if they do want to attend an inquest, is really important. People like Dajua Foundation are very great at that and other Aboriginal organisations. But having that support outside of just Aboriginal community groups in kind of like paying the rent uh, is really important. Alongside that, we know that, especially like yourself, there's many distinguished professors and experts and elders uh, who are very wise in our communities who have the capacity and ability to speak back to these state issues through a way that's informed. So something like a body of First Nations people to come together and decide the futures of how coronial inquests should be run, more so than just a protocol, but considering the investigative process itself so we don't have people like police investigating themselves is something that has been called for for decades now. And also, of course, on a human rights level, there's real need for human rights cases to be expanded because, as we know, we don't work in silos. Myself as a Māori and Aboriginal person, I know that across the Pacific, things like spithoods but also deaths in custody are a significant issue and incarceration and listening to other Indigenous nations across the world and, in fact, people of colour, other black people across the world, drawing closer to them and making sure that we're reaching that international stage and advocating for them as well, I think is part of my life's goal. And I hope that that's joined. I hope others would join me in that as well. Well, I find you very inspiring and it's great to get a chance to talk to you about your work, which really is impressive and game-changing. Thank you so much for spending time with us on Speaking Out. Thank you for having me. That's Latoya Rule, PhD candidate, writer and advocate. She's based at the Jambana Institute for Indigenous Education and Research at UTS. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.